Well, I do hope that this morning that you join, that you have been able to join with us and stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, God who has become man and been amazed at His love that He would die for us. That He wanted to be called and is willing to be called as we sang, our friend. Think about that. The sovereign God of the universe is your friend. Friend, He has befriended us who have been rebels. We have rebelled against Him. We have ignored Him. We have fought against Him. We have offended Him with our sin. And yet God in His grace sent His Son to rescue us and redeem us. That's marvelous stuff. And it will be our theme through the ages to sing of His love for us. Sin, you see, is the great divider. It is what has divided us and has separated us from God. But the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the great uniter. It is what unites us and brings us and reconciles us to God. It is also intended to revolutionize our lives and our relationships and to be that which unites us. Not only has sin broken our fellowship with God, but sin breaks our fellowship with one another. And as those who know and who are trusting in Jesus Christ, That same gospel is to unite us together. We have been called together to live in unity as believers in Jesus Christ. That is one of the central messages in the book of Ephesians, which I'd encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. We have been going through this book. The first half of the book is, first three chapters are dealing with the theological reality of our new relationship in Jesus Christ and and all the wonders of who we are in Jesus Christ, the last half of the book, chapters 4, 5, and 6, focus on the practicality of our relationship to one another and what the transformed life should look like in your life and mine, what the practical results are of having a new relationship with God. It shows up in the way that we live together, the way that we treat one another. Chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5 is dealing with the relationships in the church. The end of chapter 5, as we've spent the last three weeks, is it deals with our relationship to one another as husband and wife, our relationship in marriage. And here in chapter 6, where we are today, we come to the realm of children and parents. The world is passing through troubling times. The young people of today think nothing of nothing but themselves. They have no reverence for parents or old age. They are impatient of all restraint. They talk as if they knew everything. And what passes for wisdom with us is foolishness with them. As for the girls, they are forward, immodest, and unladylike in speech, behavior, and dress. That wasn't written about today's generation, nor was it written about mine. Actually, this came from a sermon preached by Peter the Hermit, who was not one of Herman's hermits. (laughs) Peter the Hermit was a French priest 
who died in the year 1115. What that tells us is that difficulty between generations, between parents and kids, uh, isn't really anything new. The 19th century writer G.K. Chesterton, who is kind of England's version of Mark Twain, uh, except I think he was a believer, G.K. Chesterton wrote this. He said, I believe what really happens in history is this. The old man is always wrong, and the young people are always wrong about what's wrong with him. The practical form it takes is this. While the old man may stand by some stupid custom, the young man always attacks it with some theory that turns out to be equally stupid. (laughs) In other words, we're all fighting about the wrong things. Kids, your parents don't understand you, perhaps. They actually do understand you more than you think, but you think they don't understand you. And and, uh, kids, you don't understand your parents very well. It's nothing new. It's been part of our DNA as people ever since sin came into the world. As I said, sin is the great divider. The question is, is there, if that's the situation, if it has been for a thousand years, if it has been for two thousand, three thousand years, is there any hope for changing that? How do we connect the generations? And especially within our homes. Well, here in Ephesians chapter six, Paul turns his attention to kids, and parents. And it's just a very few words, only four verses here before us this morning. But they they are simple and yet very profound instructions. They're things we need to hear and things we need to put into practice. And ultimately, there's a principle that is running through this this whole text. As I said, he's been talking about relationships ever since he's moved from the theological to the practical application. And... In chapter 4 and 5, as he deals with the church and he tells us, here's how we're to relate, he ends it in chapter 5 and verse 21. With He sums it all up with this little sentence and then it's actually the, the introduction to everything about marriage and kids and family that follows. And it's this simple words. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are to submit to one another to put others first out of reverence for Christ. That is how we are to react and deal with one another and live with one another in the church. And it's how we're to deal with one another in the home. And and so he goes on and it's that little word uh, out of reverence for Christ that's so significant as we move on. Because you remember, wives, it says there the next few verses, the words you hate to hear. And I understand he says, Submit, therefore, wives, submit to your husbands. But what's the next word? As you would submit to Christ, as unto Christ. And he goes down to husbands and he says, Husbands, what are you to be doing with your wives? You are to love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. As He loves the church. And that is the, the barometer. And it's actually... in. in It's picking up that same thing. We are to submit to one another. Husbands, as leaders in our home, we are nonetheless to submit ourselves to our wives by putting them first and loving them like Christ loved the church. He gave His life and Himself for us. He put our interests ahead of His. 
And then he comes to kids and he's going to say stuff you don't want to hear. And you know what comes next. It says, kids, obey your parents. And why? He says, in the Lord. It it all goes back to, you see, our relationship with Christ. And he talks to moms and dads and he says how we are to treat our kids. And the whole principle through all of this, you see, the parents, as he's saying as well, that we do this in the Lord. And it's all about that we are submitting to one another so that parents, we're putting the interests of our kids ahead of ourselves. We submit to our kids, in a sense, even as the leaders, by putting them first. And kids, you submit to your parents by obeying them. And husbands, we submit to our wives by loving them. And wives, we submit to our husbands by submitting to them because we all are to submit to one another. Big problem for all of us is we get ourselves in the way and we put ourselves first. So with that in mind, we come to hear kids very quickly. We're going to run through. There's just two commands here for kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first command with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, kids, I recognize every one of you are aspiring lawyers. And the first thing you you see when you go at this, you go, it says, children. Uh, Who's the children here? Is children, you know, six and below? Is it 12 and below? Is it 16 and below? At what point can I write this one off and say doesn't apply to me anymore? Great question. And so we look there at that word children and we say, all right, well, it's always helpful if we go to the Greek. The Greek answers all questions. No, it doesn't. Because the Greek word here for children simply means offspring. You know, you might hope it means kids under 12 or whatever, but it says, no, children means offspring. And by this definition and by its usage in Scripture, as well as other places, uh, I am still a children. I'm still a child. I am the offspring of my mom and dad. That doesn't help us any. But the, the next thing, the word obey does help us. In Greek, it's a, it's a compound word. It's a word that has two parts to it. And it literally could be translated this way, to hear under. And what it's saying is to hear, to follow the voice, to listen, to do under authority. Put it, kind of bring it together. What the point is this. Children are those who are under the authority of their parents. So the question is, when do you have, is there a time limit, an age limit to this passage? The answer is it's not an age limit, but there is a point where you are no longer obligated to obey your parents. And it is, you are to hear, you are to submit, you are to obey them under authority. As long as you're under their authority, you are to obey your parents. So let me help us with that. What that best way to put it is this. As long as you are legally and physically and fiscally dependent and and Uh, under your parents, you must obey them. When you are legally independent of your parents, when you are physically and fiscally independent of your parents, you are no longer obligated to obey them. In other words, if you're living under their roof, sucking their, their grape juice and eating their food and wearing the clothes that they paid for, you're under their authority. And as long as the law says so. So, uh, there's a good, a good definition of the limits, all right? 
That deals with the legal part. Now we can move on. <laughs> Listen. Another thing I'd want to note besides this and that little thing, to hear under is to recognize that, yes, you are to obey your parents, and that obedience involves a listening, to hear under the authority. Obedience, you see, often doesn't happen in the home by kids because you've managed to tune out your parents. You know, you know the wave, the frequencies of their voice and you've managed to... So that what you hear when your parents talk is you hear what uh, the adults sound like in the Peanuts movie. Wah, 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 Right? Can, can we do, and those of us who are adults, we remember that as kids. We had that way to just kind of <laughs> dial in the frequency and we don't hear that anymore. Kids, what God is saying to you is you need to put down the phone, take out the earbuds, pause the game. Whatever, when mom and dad are speaking, you need to listen because you can't obey them if you don't listen to all they have to say. Well, that brings up the next thing, though. We always want to know whenever somebody tells us to do something, especially as kids, the next thing is, why? God says obey. Why? Why should I obey my parents? Well, that's a great question. He gives the answer here. Children, obey your parents. First part of the answer, in the Lord. Again, this all goes back to our relationships should be different. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're trusting in Him, then things should be different with you. You can't go to, well, nobody else is doing this or whatever everybody else is doing. Forget that. The question is, because of Jesus Christ, what should be the case in my life? And here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should obey your parents because... A follower of Jesus Christ follows Jesus' example. What did Jesus do? Luke chapter 2, verse 51 says this, Then He, and He's talking about Jesus, went down to Nazareth with them, and that's His parents, and was obedient to them. I'm not saying He just did it. He was obedient to them in going to Nazareth. The point is, in the way the context, if you read it, it means that He went down with them to Nazareth, back to their hometown, and was was obedient to them. It was the pattern. It was his lifestyle. He was submissive, obedient to his parents. If you follow Jesus Christ, that's where it leads you. That's part of what that obey your parents in the Lord means. Now also another thing we can get from that is that little phrase in the Lord can be translated like this, as you would the Lord. In other words, you are to obey, obey your parents in the same manner as you would obey Jesus Christ. In the same way that you would obey God, you should obey your parents. And that sounds really weird because your parents aren't God. But yet He tells you to obey them like you would God. And while it sounds weird, it's not weird according to Scripture. The Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 13, writes this. He says, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. So in other words, kids, your authority is your parents. And if you resist your parents, if you disobey them, you're disobeying God because God speaks to you through your parents. To us as adults, by the way, this applies to authorities over us, including the government, which is actually what Paul is speaking about there in Romans 13. 
He says, if we disobey the government, we are disobeying God because God has established the authority. And we are to be submissive to them. And that raises the question, well, what about when the government isn't acting like God would have us act? What about when the government is evil? Which, by the way, as Paul writes the Romans, uh, it was a pretty evil system in Rome at the time. What about your kids? What about your parents? What if your parents aren't godly parents? Or what if they're just, you know, they're just wrong? You know they're wrong. You know, they're... <laughs> what do we do then? Well, the Scripture has a good principle and it's a good thing just to make note of. The Bible does speak to that issue. You and I are to submit to the authorities over us as parents, our parents or the government, whoever, we submit to them. When the time comes, if the time ever comes, where the, the authority that is over us is in conflict with God's authority. They tell us to do something God says not to do or tell us not to do something that God says we should do then when there's a conflict of authority, you and I are to submit to the higher authority, not the lower one. And so we follow what God says, not what our parents say in that case, or what the government says. How often does that happen? Not very often. But if it does, we follow God. You can find and you can just note it because we won't turn there. You can go to the book of Acts chapter 5. There you'll find the account where the Apostles have been grabbed by the religious authorities who have drugged them in and forbidden them to speak in the name of Christ. And and Peter, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, says it is right for us to obey God, not men. That's what he says. We must obey God rather than men. He goes on here in the text. We're to do it because we're to obey to our parents because we do it in the Lord. As we would the Lord, we also do it simply because, he goes on, because it's right. This is right. Simply the right thing to do. Disobedience to parents is not a minor thing. Uh, you go to lots of passages. One that comes to mind is Second Peter chapter 3, where the apostle is listing out just how bad things are going to be in the last days. And this long list of really horrible, horrible things, Peter says dis- they're disobedient to parents. I remember as a kid just kind of laughing at that thing. It's not a big deal, but it's a huge deal. It's included in this long list of horrible stuff. And it's saying just how bad things are going to be before Jesus comes back. People are going to be disobedient to parents. It's not saying it's never happened before. It's God saying, though, it's a significant thing. God doesn't just go, hey, you're a kid, you know, not paying attention. No, He cares. There's a second commandment here, though. The first one is obey your parents, but there's a second commandment. The second one is, he goes on, verse 2, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Very similar to the first one, but it is a little different. He actually quotes here from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. You go through the Ten Commandments, the first commandments are all about our relationship to God. The the second half of the commandments is about our relationship to one another. And the first of those commandments is this one, honor your father and mother. The difference between obedience and honor is primarily this. Obedience is the action of obeying, of doing what they say. Honor has to do more with the attitude of how we obey them. It is an attitude... It's 
It's to, instead of obeying them grudgingly like we've all done as kids, right? Grumbling and, you know, spitting and spatting the whole way. It is doing it with an attitude and not that attitude that our parents try to knock out of us. You know, get rid of that attitude. It's an attitude of, of honor, an attitude of respect. See, it's to honor is to value, it's to prize. It's to look at your parents and see them through a different set of glasses than just the parents are the people keeping me from doing what I want to do. The, pe- the parents are the people making me do what I don't want to do. It's looking at parents and seeing them as those who provide what I need. Those who have cared for me. See, the reality is you are an expensive critter as a kid. You are expensive in terms of money and you're expensive in terms of time and you're expensive in terms of effort and your parents have expended a lot of that on your behalf. Your good looks and your charming personality, kids, does not entitle you to free food, free lodging, free clothing, free fun. Those are gifts from your parents to you. Appreciate those. That's what he's saying when he says honor. Be grateful. There is some action that goes along with that honor. And I would put it this way. Honor has some actions. Uh, One thing is to speak, to actually say things like, thank you, mom and dad. (laughs) To actually say, I appreciate you. Honor them. Respect them. They have those kind of words coming out of your mouth instead of the ones where you yell and argue and complain. Another way to show that honor is to live in such a way that honors them. The book of Proverbs is full of verses like that. that the, the father of a righteous man has great joy. See, our kids, nothing brings us greater joy as moms and dads than when we see you as our kids doing well, living well. Everything that you say, everything that you do, even the way you dress, the way you conduct yourself, those things uh, reflect on us as parents. When you speak well and dress well and act well, it reflects good on us. When you speak poorly and, act, and dress poorly and act poorly and whatever, it reflects poorly on us as parents. Honor your parents by living well, honorably. Thirdly, this shows up. And, and by the way, while the, while the first command to obey our parents has a time limit, uh, when we are independent of their, we are independent of their authority when we are independent. Okay? This one doesn't have a time limit. And I can know, I know that for several things. One of them is in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And he goes to this very command and quotes this very command. And he says, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites because you say that you're following God and that you're on, and that you're being obedient to God, but you refuse to care for your parents you are not following this commandment, honor your father and mother. So they're adults, they're independent, but even as grown adults, even as 60-year-olds, 
If our parents are alive, we are to be honoring them. And this is how in caring for them in their old age. I'm saying this for the benefit of my kids. (laughs) I'm moving in next week. I meant to tell you that. (laughs) That's part of honoring. Honor your father and mother. Again, the question comes, why should we do that? And there are some really, really important things to note here. He goes back, and again, he he goes back to Exodus chapter 20 and to this, this commandment in the Old Testament, and he quotes the whole thing, which is honoring your father and mother in the Lord, and there's a promise that comes after it, so that it may go well with you and that you may live long on the earth. There are two promises that are attached to this obedience to this command, honoring your parents. The first is this, he says, it'll go well with you, a good life. It's not a promise that if you honor your mom and dad, you'll never have trouble, that there will never be problems. Not saying that everything in life is going to be wonderful if you honor your father and mother, but it is saying you will have a good life. Things will go better for you if you honor your parents. Practically, there are just some, and and we could come up with lots of things. Let me just give you a few reasons why this is true. First of all, because your parents love you. I realize there, there's an occasional parent out there who's a bad parent who really doesn't love their kids. But 99.9% of parents out there love their kids. And I would say if you're a kid here today, your parents probably love you very much. Because your parents love you, your parents at many times in your life are the only people who you can count on to give you unselfish advice. You go to your friends, you go to most folks out there, and, you know, I, I really have a hard time when I go to an insurance guy and I'm looking for advice. Is he really giving me good advice or does he just want to make commission on a sale, you know? Try to get good advice from a car salesman, you know? Most, you know, most of the folks trying to give us advice out there, it, there's an ulterior motive attached to it. Parents to give advice that's based on just on the fact I love you. Another thing is your parents tend to have more experience and more wisdom than you do. It's the one benefit that comes with old age. Where do you get wisdom? Making mistakes. (laughs) Your parents have learned an awful lot or they've learned from others who have made mistakes. And they you do well to listen. You avoid lots of problems. You will do well. Let me give you another way this works. You'll do well because when you learn to submit to your parents to obey them, God is not just dealing with that one little incident. You know, your parents say you can't go to the movies today with Bobby and Fred. You know, you know, what God is doing is He's actually, the bigger deal isn't the movie. The bigger deal is God is building character in you. He's teaching you to, to deal with things like disappointment. Frustration. Parents who sometimes get it wrong. Why is all that valuable? Well, because someday you're going to have a boss. Someday you're going to have a husband or a wife. Someday you're going to have a neighbor. 
And very much to the extent that you learn to deal with disappointment and you learn to deal with frustration and you learn to deal with, with problems and difficulties and the situations of life and learn to deal with those in a positive way, which you will when you obey your parents, you will have success later in marriage and in your work and in your relationships because you learned those lessons in the school God has put you in at home, which is a pretty safe school. When you have to learn those lessons later, the cost is very high. cost is very high when you lose a job because you haven't learned to control your temper when you have a disagreement with your boss. price is very high when, you, when your marriage falls apart because you haven't learned to deal with tension or frustration or, or disappointment or whatever. You see, a good life comes from obeying your parents and honoring your parents. But not only a good life, he says this, he says, a long life that you may live long in the land. It's not a guarantee that you're going to live to 90. Not a guarantee you're going to have, you know, that you're going to live age-wise necessarily longer than everybody else. It's not saying that people who die younger didn't obey their parents. What it is saying is that you will live a life that is not cut short. And it's not something we talk about very often, but it is a reality when you look at Scripture that you can have a life that is cut short. One thing, you can have a life that's cut short by folly. If you go outside today and, well, you know, how many of you ever had your parents tell you you can't play in the street? See, they're keeping your life from being cut short by folly. Keeping it being, you know, keep saving you from driving recklessly. Your parents give you all the rules on how you can drive the car and how you can't drive the car. They're trying to prevent you from having a life cut short as your car is wrapped around a telephone pole because you drove foolishly. Or they try to keep you from hanging out with the wrong people because it can not only be a bad idea in lots of ways, it can at times even be deadly. A life cut short by folly. But not only can a life be cut short by folly, but a life can also be cut short directly by God. And as I go to the pages of Scripture, find things like this. It says, The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Not just cut short by folly, but sometimes directly by God. Scripture says it this way in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. It says, there is a sin that leads to death. In other words, there is a time in life where it, when a person runs from God long enough and far enough and disobeys God enough, God finally says, that's it. I'm pulling you out of the game. You know, you, you try that in sports where you just ignore the coach and do what you want. And the coach won't let you go very far for he's going to blow the whistle, call a timeout and pull you out of the game. The scripture says God does that sometimes. And one way to prevent that, the scripture says, is when you and I obey, when we honor our parents, that, that we will learn the lessons and you live long. Fathers, he says, fathers, 
This word fathers can refer specifically to dads, but it's also a word that is used sometimes in a generic sense as it is in the book of Hebrews about Moses' parents. It's a word that can be used to use generically for parents. Moms and dads. Dads, I do think this applies specifically to us as the leaders, the heads in our home, but it applies to both of us, moms and dads. Here's the command. It's two two commands, just like it was two for the kids. We get two. Here it is, moms and dads. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke. I like the way the NIV translates that word. Don't exasperate your children. This was my favorite verse as a kid. <laughs> Don't exasperate your children. And that raises a question if you're mom and dad, you say, okay, God says don't do this. Then comes the question, how, how do we exasperate our kids? It's a great question. Because if you're not going to do it, you've got to know how you do it so you don't do it. I can think of two ways to get the answer to this question. One is, you can go to your kids and say, how do I exasperate you? And they will be glad to supply you a list. (laughs) There's another way to get the answer to this question, and that is, I don't think God intends to exasperate us. And so I don't think God would tell us, don't exasperate your kids if He doesn't have the answer here. Well, I look and I read this verse, and I read a little bit before and a little after, I don't see it there. And I'd say the answer to that is, go back to where we've been Going back to chapter 4 and looking at this whole thing on relationships. We went back and we went through chapters 4 and 5 and looked at the general instructions He gives about relationships. And we said, hey, those are great instructions for marriage. We put a little thing together that I think is still out in the foyer in one of the little slots there. 20 essentials for a great home. They're relationship tools and tips. And if they apply in general in how we relate to one another, we found they apply especially in how we relate as husbands and wives. That's what this was about. But they also apply to how we then relate with our kids. Let me just take a few of those and put them into the negative thing and show how those things can exasperate our kids. A few of these things. For example, how do we exasperate our kids? Be selfish. It calls us to be to be humble and gentle, but we're going to change it around. Instead of being humble and being selfless, I'm going to be selfish. In that sense, be disinterested in your kids. Wrap yourself up in your job and ignore your kids. Wrap yourself up in your hobbies and ignore your kids. You will exasperate them. You'll frustrate them. Another way we can exasperate our kids, be angry, be harsh, be impatient, be irritable, be violent. You'll provoke your kids to anger. You'll exasperate them. Another thing is don't tell them the truth. Just shade the truth occasionally. Hide the truth from them. Tell them little lies here and there. Be dishonest with them. You will frustrate your kids if they don't know that they can count on you all the time to give them the pure, unvarnished truth. Another thing we can do, be critical, be demeaning. Don't give out praise. Don't give out encouragement. You will frustrate and provoke and exasperate your kids. Be unloving. Withhold affection from your kids. You will exasperate them, frustrate them. Be hypocritical. Say one thing and do something else. 
preach to your kids what they're supposed to do and you go do something different, you will frustrate and, and exasperate and provoke your kids. Here's a big one. Don't love and don't honor their mother and father. See, the whole section about before this is about how as husbands and wives we are to treat one another. Treat your wife, treat your husband with disrespect. Berate them, little them, belittle them, don't love them. And you will frustrate and exasperate your kids. That's just a few. You can find more if you go back and look through the passage again. Do you see how that works? Simple stuff, but it's important. Don't, he says, don't exasperate your kids. Instead, invest in your children. Bring them up, he says, in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That little word, bring them up, has, it's an agricultural term, like grow a plant. It could be translated this way, nourish. Uh, nurture. It describes a tender, loving care. My wife last fall brought in some plants that had just, you know, they just had it. They, the cold had come in, and she just brought these little dying things in, put them in some pots. And over the winter, she's been tending to them. And you know what? They're growing. They're starting to flourish. And and uh, by the time that spring gets here, we're going to be able to take those things and put them back outside. That's what he says here. It's that nurture. It's this tender care. We are to be an authority in our home, but it's to be a tender, a gentle authority whose, whose motive and whose actions are aimed at, at causing this little, tender, fragile thing to flourish. That's nourishing. Not only that, that bring them up has also with it a concept of it requires an, a purposeful, an intentional effort, an active process. If you're going to raise your kids well, it will never happen on its own. It will only happen as you put into it lots of thought, lots of planning, lots of effort. It says, bring them up in the discipline. That word discipline, we often think of it as negative. You know, it's, you get the belt out, you get the paddle out. That may have a place. But the, the purpose of discipline, the, the word of discipline is bigger than that. It's building Training, it's building godly character in our children. It's a process. It's, it's setting the target. It's saying, what do, I want, what do we want our children to be character-wise? What do we want our kids to be like? And then it's saying, it's looking at where they are, evaluating. It's, it's monitoring progress. It's identifying problems. Here's a problem. It's coming up with a... How do we work on fixing that problem? It's It's... Uh, providing appropriate reward and appropriate punishment to encourage our kids toward those things. It's, it's a whole process. It isn't easy, moms and dads. This is a lot of work. But it's something that God calls you to be as moms and dads. To, be, to bring them up, to discipline them, and to bring them up as well in the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction. The instruction is has to do with content, with knowledge. It's equipping your kids with the with the truth, with the wisdom that they need to live life well. They need God's truth. The culture is busy teaching your kids every day, indoctrinating your kids with the culture. 
It takes a lot of work as moms and dads to counteract that. So what do we need? Just very quickly again, we need to be intentional. You and I need to be busy intentionally, effectively instructing our kids in God's Word. We can't just leave that up to Sunday school. We're going to come to church, park them in Sunday school for an hour a week. There we go. They got it. We're good. Not just, not even, we have Sunday school. We have children's church. Those are great. We have Awana, which is awesome. Utilize those things for your kids. Those are wonderful tools to help you. But it can't stop there. God gave these instructions to the Israelites about this same thing. He said, hey, nation, hey, people, these commands I give you, everything I'm teaching you today, it's to be on your hearts. And you're to impress these things on your kids. How do you do it? Talk about them while you sit at home, when you walk down the, the road, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. It needs to be a part of your daily life. We, the only way for our kids to learn God's truth is we have to be teaching it to them because the culture won't do it. And we need to do that as part of our daily life. It's part of what we do. We're just talking around the house. When we're going down the road, sitting in the car, we talk a little bit from time to time as it comes up and as, as we see opportunities to teach just a little bit about what God says. And when we lie down at bedtime, when we get up in the morning, it's just saying it, it infects our life. It fills our life. That's how we train our kids in these ways. But, not, but, but for us to be effective in that, it won't happen just by us saying it. The reality is, you see, if we want our kids to know God's truth and if we want our kids to follow Christ, the words won't be enough. We have to be an example. We have to model it. We can say we believe this. We can say we value that. But our kids are paying attention to not what we say. They pay attention to what we do. And they learn more by what we do than by what we say. We can't expect our kids to follow Christ if we're not following Christ. So we need to be committed to modeling what it is to follow Jesus. Four things I would say are it's essential in following Christ. One is we're growing in Christ. We model commitment to, to growing in Christ through worship and prayer and learning God's Word and living out God's Word. And we need to model connecting to the body of Christ. The Bible teaches that See, following Jesus is a team sport. We do that together, and so we need to model being committed to the body of Christ, to the church. We need to model what it is to serve Christ, to use our gifts, abilities, resources, times, energies to serve Christ. And Jesus left us here on earth with a mission to reach people with the good news about Jesus, to tell others about Christ. And we need to model concern and investment and action in getting the gospel to folks around us and folks around the world who need to hear about Jesus. It's all order. But again, put it real simple. It comes back to kids, you, put, you listen to your parents and put them above yourself because Jesus said so and it's good for you. Moms and dads, we put our kids ahead of our own interests because God has given us a stewardship and a precious gift for us to nurture and raise to raise our kids to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, important stuff, big stuff. It's a challenge and it's bigger than any of us can do on our own. We need Your help. Father, I pray for the kids here today that You would help them to 
to obey and to listen to their parents as they would listen to you for their own good and for your honor as well. Father, I pray for the moms and dads here who have a most challenging and daunting task, raising kids. But what a what a wonderful gift. What a wonderful blessing they have in their children. They are an inheritance you have given to them. Lord, help them to be good moms and dads. Father, for those of us who don't have kids at home, Lord, you have given us the ability to be and the privilege of being in a family, in a body of believers, of having other family and friends with kids. Lord, may we be of encouragement to moms and dads and of encouragement to children. For all of us, that we live our life for Jesus, step by step and day by day. It's in His name we pray. Amen.